You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, uh, we're going to be getting to hear an incredible story in a few moments, but before we do that, I want to kind of set things up, share a little context with you. Um, if there has ever been a year, or, or if there's ever been a meme that sums up this year, uh, this would be it. We have a quick meme, if we can show that. Uh, this is a little throwback, okay? Um, I know this is 2019, but it feels like a decade ago, so I think we're safe to, to show that. If there's ever a meme, for those watching online, in the comments, can you put a GIF that sums up 2020? Be nice, be kind, okay? Um, this is a crazy year. The, like, we've used words like unprecedented historical, once-in-a-lifetime to describe this year. There is no doubt that 2020 is going to be a period of time that our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will study in history class and be in their history books. Because the things that have happened this year have been unlike any other we've ever seen. Now, this month at Calvary, we've been walking through this series Uh, studying this book in the first part of the Bible known as the Old Testament. There's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, There's this book that we've been looking at, walking through, called the book of Jonah. Now, when you hear that title, you would assume the book, uh, in this book called the Bible, uh, uh, called the book of Jonah, is about Jonah, right? That would make sense. But it's actually not about Jonah. It's actually about how God worked in Jonah's life and through Jonah's life. And uh, early in the book, God speaks to this guy named Jonah. He asks him to go share a very important message with the city of Nineveh, uh, which was a prominent city in the Assyrian Empire in the mid-700s BC. Uh, But the the message he was asked to share was a message of potential destruction for the city if they didn't turn from their evil ways. Now, to say that Nineveh was an evil city or the people of Nineveh were evil was probably one of the greatest understatements in Scripture. Uh, The Assyrians uh, were a war machine, really one of the most powerful military forces in the ancient world until their empire was conquered in 612 BC. The secret to their success was a professionally trained army outfitted with iron weapons, which were unique in that time period, advanced engineering skills, effective tactics, but really most importantly, they uh, had a complete ruthlessness which came to characterize the Assyrians to their neighbors, subjects, still has attached itself to the reputation and even in modern times. A phrase often repeated by the Assyrian kings in their inscriptions uh, regarding those that they conquered or or those that they had overcome in their military conquest was this, uh, I destroyed, devastated, and burned with fire those cities, towns, or regions that resisted Assyrian rule. This was common. In fact, uh, historian Simon Anglim wrote this about the Assyrian Empire. He wrote this, The Assyrians created the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. This was held together by two factors, their superior abilities in siege warfare and their reliance on sheer, unadulterated terror. It was Assyrian policy always to demand that examples be made of those who resisted them. This included deportations of entire peoples and horrific physical punishments. One inscription from a temple in the city of Nimrod records the fate of the leaders of the city of Suru 
on the Euphrates River who rebelled from and were reconquered by King Ashurbanipal. Here's what it said. I built a pillar at the city gate and I flayed all the chief men who had revolted and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I walled up inside the pillar. Some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes. Such punishments, the historian continues, were not uncommon. Furthermore, inscriptions recording these vicious acts of retribution were displayed throughout the empire to serve as a warning. I don't know about you, but this is a group of people I would not want to run into in a dark alley. Like, this is a group of people I would not want to be ruling me because there would have been pain, devastation, death, uh, all that would have followed behind them. Needless to say, the Assyrians were ruthless, incredibly violent people. Now, when you bring that understanding of the Assyrians into the story of Jonah, the thought that the residents of this great Assyrian city of Nineveh would ever even listen to a prophet by the name of Jonah, let alone turn from their evil ways, is pretty preposterous. That's a pretty outrageous expectation. Maybe, maybe for you, there are people or circumstances in your life that you view through a similar lens as how the, the, the Ninevites or Assyrians were viewed at this time period. That it's ultimately beyond help. Maybe, maybe that's how you viewed your own life. The, the deck is too, stacked too high. The odds are too great. The situation is ultimately without hope. Maybe, maybe that's where you view yourself walking into church or watching online. Like you're like, my life is too far gone. I'm over here. Like there's no hope for my life, my past, my, my history, whatever it might be. Or maybe it's someone in your life because of what they're walking through, what they've done what they've experienced, the mistakes they've made, that person is kind of beyond hope. We, we don't even hope for them anymore. Or, or maybe it's a situation financially or medically, relationally in your own life that you're, you, you've given up. You, you've come to the conclusion that, that, that even God, even God can't turn around the situation today. Even God can't transform the situation. This is how anyone in the mid-700s B.C., would have certainly viewed the people of Nineveh and the potential that they would actually turn from their evil ways. They were beyond hope, way beyond hope. In Jonah chapter 3, we see recorded what took place as Jonah finally did what God asked of him. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and you might be like, oh, no, why did I come? Uh, the chapter is only 10 verses, but it gives really good context for what took place. And here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So you have to understand, Nineveh wasn't just like a, a little podunk town. This was a massive, massive, very fortified city. It took three days uh, to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That, that was a way in the ancient world to show sorrow. You, you put on sackcloth. You, you covered yourself in that kind of clothing. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king 
and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he will not, we will not perish. Last verse, verse 10. Then God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is a pretty remarkable story because you have a situation without hope where most normal people would have given up. And, and the Ninevites actually responded. And, and, and briefly this morning, before we, we jump into our, our interview today, I'll, this is what I want to share with you. This, this simple idea. There's no case beyond God's capacity to transform. There's, there's no case beyond God's capacity to transform. I don't know what, what baggage you're carrying. I don't know like what's up here. The, you've had these different ideas of God and of church. Maybe it's because of how you were raised. Maybe it's because of an experience you've had in your past. Maybe it's because you have no experience. I, I don't know what, what, what defines kind of how you view God. People have all kinds of different things that filter that. Maybe for you, the situation in front of you, we're in the middle of a pandemic, your finances, your relationships, your own life, you've kind of given up. Like, I'm moving God off the table because that's not even an option. I want to work with what I know to be true. What I'm trying to tell you here today is that there's no case beyond God's capacity to transform. Like, there's nothing in the sphere of our experience that God can't transform. And you might think, well, that's just a, a little story in the, this book called the Bible. Like, that's just a fairy tale we, we tell our kids. But that, that's not actually true. First, let me tell you, this is an actual story. Like, this actually happened. These were real people in a real world in the 700s BC that, that, that experienced this. These aren't, it's not a fairy tale. Be, beyond that, uh, the principle that, that we see present here doesn't just apply to something we, we read in this book. It's not just something we read about and talk about at, at church or whatever and, and then we move on. It's a principle that's still real for today, still real for your life today, still real for what you are walking through, what I am walking through. We've walked through a season where it could be easy to say, man, it feels like nothing can work right now. Are we going to get shut down again? Am I going to lose my job? Is my company going to get closed? Is, 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 are my kids going to stay in school? Am I going to catch a virus? Am I, am I going to make it through the end of this year? Like, how is this all going to pan out? What I want you to know, there's no case beyond God's capacity to transform, no matter how impossible it might seem. For, for, for this story of Jonah and the Ninevites, this was a case that seemed too far gone. But God could still transform it. And you might think, well, what about today? Well, this morning, I'm going to invite a few ladies up here, a few friends, uh, if you guys want to come up here. I want to share kind of their story and and hear, even in impossible circumstances in modern times, how God can still work. God can still use uh, circumstances that seem too far gone and still bring things back with hope. Uh, So I want to invite Jamie and uh, and, and, uh, Holly and and Tammy up here this morning. We're so blessed to have you guys here today. Move this out of the way. You got your stuff there. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, so 
we're going to kind of share a little bit of Jamie's story, ultimately. It's, uh, Jamie's story and Tammy and Holly were a major part of that. Um, so if you guys can, uh, give us a quick synopsis of what took place uh, a few years ago. And Jamie's, I know, Jamie, you don't remember a lot of it. Um, but if, if you can kind of bring us through, give us a little synopsis, and then we want to dive into to some of the story this morning. Sure. Uh, thanks for having us today. We greatly appreciate the invite. Um, I just want to say that um, December 9th, 12th, see, I, I try to forget these things. December 12th, uh, Jamie was in a severe car accident. Um, we got a phone call in the afternoon. Um, I, I was on my way to a Christmas party, as was Tammy, and um, we got word that the accident was bad and that Jamie was being flown to Presbyterian Hospital. Um, when we got to Presbyterian Hospital, the prognosis was very poor. They said that um, her injuries would probably not be survivable, and if she did survive, she would be lucky if she recognized her children. So, you know, when we see a lot of stuff in our, in our jobs, um, but this happened to one of our own, and it, it made it real for us. So she worked for Stat Medivac. Yeah, so uh, Jamie is, was a flight nurse at Stat Medivac in Washington, PA. Uh, we were co-workers. Uh, Tammy works out of the Ohio bases, but uh, we were good friends and co-workers. So uh, she had been flying for at least five or six years when her accident had occurred. And the helicopter base that she worked at um, is the helicopter that responded to her accident. So her co-workers, her good friends, had to take care of her that day. Crazy, crazy. And you were basically completely incapacitated. Yeah, yeah she was found unresponsive, hanging out the driver's side door. And another person who we've become very good friends with is the police officer that was the first person on scene that actually opened her airway so she was able to pass air until wow. EMS got there. And um, then she went to uh, a rendezvous with the helicopter, and one of her really good friends had to put the breathing tube in and uh, so intubate her. So crazy. For, for, for Tammy and Holly, take us back to that day. What went through your mind when you heard about Jamie's accident? Someone so close, knowing all the details. Like, you, you weren't just a bystander. Like, you knew the reality of what was taking place. I, I think the problem was we knew too much. Yeah. <laughs> we see too much. Uh, we, you want to you think the worst. And I had to drive, uh, you know, from Ohio. We were literally just getting ready to walk out the door for a Christmas party for my husband's work. And my boss said, well, you don't have to come. We're all here. And I'm like, that's not even a question. <laughs> I'll be there in an hour. So it was, you know, that drive, everything's running through your head, and you get there, and Holly was a little closer. She was able to make it while she was still in the ER. By the time I got there, uh, she was in the OR. And then the hardest part that night was deciding when to leave. Like, you know, we, it just, so we were just so worried, and we are just waiting for someone to come out and talk to us, and her family was there, and mm-hmm. Jamie was also an outreach coordinator. So she worked with um, teaching the fire departments, educating. Uh, she was the problem solver, uh, marketing person at that time, and that's the capacity that I was in also with a, being a flight nurse. So we connected daily on, you know, helping each other get through the day with wow. different things that we covered. I think for me, um, the same thing is you, you see so many bad things in our job that when they tell you the prognosis, 
we, we don't get to see a lot of the outcomes, you know, of these prognoses. But, you know, having one of our own, it just, again, made it so real. But that day when, when we heard from Jamie, that Jamie had her accident, um, I'm going to tell you, Presbyterian Hospital didn't know what to do with us. We probably had 60 people in the waiting room. Wow. You know, and that's the great thing about EMS is, you know, it doesn't matter if you wear a black flight suit, a green flight suit, if you work for this company or that company, you know, we all band together to take care of each other. And it was, the support that was there was amazing. Now, how many years ago was this? Just to kind of bring everyone. Almost 11. It'll be 11 years in December. This year, yeah. So it's been a little over a decade now. Um, how, how do you look back? How do you ladies look back on that time now? Like thinking what you were processing then, how do you see that? When I think about it, I want to cry <laughs> just because I know where we're at now, mm-hmm. you know, and just going back and even just sitting there, I was thinking of all the things that we've been through and what I'm going to say when I get up here and there's not enough time <laughs> for me to tell you all that we went through, but yeah, it's just in a tears of joy yeah. because of where Jamie is. It's come. Mm-hmm. J- Jamie, how did recovery go for you? How long did that take until you were able to function more normally? Like, okay, it's been 11 years, and I'm still recovering. Um, I rely a lot on my friends, um, but I've figured out how to deal with some of my struggles. Um, part of my injury was short-term memory loss, but I, I've learned to write everything down. Um, I rely on post-it notes. Um, I should have stock in them, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're a good reminder aid. I have them everywhere. Yeah, that's great. That's great. What, was it a difficult journey? Um, oh, my gosh. There were many hard days. Um, I lost everything, my children, my house, my job, my nursing license. This brain injury took everything from me. Um, it, it was, it was hard, a hard battle. Um, depression is very real to me was very real to me and is very real to me. I focus on what's going to be good in the future. Um, short-term memory loss does have its benefits, though. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I can't remember, but uh, um, during my recovery, uh, I searched out a lot of inspirational quotes, and I would send them to these girls a lot. Um, one of my favorites was, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is a quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Wow, that's awesome. That's good. That's really good. Ladies, like, how long did it take Jamie to get to, like, a point where she could kind of start to, like, I know it was a long rehab process. Like, how, how long of a period of time, just briefly, like, did that, that take? Well, Jamie was in the intensive care unit for, like, 14, a little less than 14 days. Um, and then from there, she went to the step-down unit. Um, she was there for a while. And, and then she went into uh, a brain, re- um, brain rehab uh, for about a month. Yeah. So um, it took Jamie a long, long time um, because brain injuries are very difficult. Um, Jamie didn't realize that she had problems. Um, she didn't realize that she was forgetting and she felt like everything was okay. So she felt that she could do everything. Um, and we laugh because, uh, we had to have humor come through this, uh, to get through all of this, but you know, um, she would call us and tell us the same thing five times in a row. Um, 
we were laughing when we were preparing for this. Uh, we would go to the Hallmark store because she loved the Hallmark, the Hallmark store. And we'd walk through. She'd pick up a card and show it to us. And like, I love this card. I'm like, we love it too. And then she'd walk around and she'd come back and pick out that exact same card and show it to us. She was consistent. <laughs> you were consistent. consistent. That's good. Like the first time she ever saw it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the first time every time. So um, we compare some of that part of her life with uh, if you've ever seen the movie 50 First Dates. You know, um, every day we had to tell her over and over again what had happened. And, you know, it's, we make light of some of it, but, you know, when you have to tell her every day the bad parts, you know, it tears you apart. Yeah. Um, because along with the good, there was a lot of bad. So you would have to remind her of those things too. And to see her suffer every day, learning those things every day was very challenging. Now, Holly, before you, you told me this, I think this is incredible. Like, basically, if we remove you two from the picture, you know, Jamie would not be anywhere close to where she is. They were pretty much ready to put her in a care facility and just let her go. But you guys pushed her. Why? How, 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 what? <laughs> let me get a, give you a slight idea of how we pushed. <laughs> yeah. She was in the ICU. We did the nails. We did the hair. We did the, you know. Then we went to step down. So she went to step down Christmas Eve. I was on a flight that night. I stopped to see her, and you know, it was the first time she ever squeezed my hand on command. So it was amazing. The um, very, I think it was like the 28th, um, she calls me crying, and she says they want to send her to a nursing home. And she's so, and I was on my way there, and she had to leave. And we had a schedule, just like you would have a schedule at work. We had a schedule. Somebody was with her 24 hours a day, whether it be somebody from our communication center, or it was someone from one of the fire departments, whether it be one of our flight nurses, uh, our bosses. Somebody stayed with her 24 hours Even a day. Even our mechanics. Came. Yeah, our mechanics. Everybody. Um, and her dad was struggling with his uh, wife was dying at the time of cancer. So her, her dad was just overwhelmed. The kids were overwhelmed. And so we went, and they wanted to put her in a nursing home. She's crying. I get there, and it was hair day, so we got to wash her hair and stuff. And they had already came and screened her, and they said she's not ready. So our vice president um, of the company at that time pulled, had some strings pulled, and they came for one more evaluation. And the guy walks in the room, and he goes, what's your name? And she mouthed the words, Jamie Craig. We never asked her her name, <laughs> we, but she was in there. That was the first time like, that we realized she's really there. And because of that, and they were able to send her to the brain rehab on the 29th, and that's where it got fun because she was a pistol. And uh, I, w- I went away for a couple days, and I came back, and she looks at me, and she goes, I've been waiting for you. And that was the first word she spoke to me. So with all these big moments, I started writing everything down and all the dates and all the, so we can share those today. And that's what she's looking at me for the dates because I'm the date person. I have them all written down. Like when she said her first words, she pulled her trach out. She said she didn't need it anymore. You know, <laughs> Wow. So, I mean, for her 40th birthday was the first time she ate since her accident. I took her a cupcake. But, and then I called her and I made her leave Holly a message because I knew I would be in trouble because she spoke to me first. So I, she, <laughs> I still have the message on my answering machine. So it was a wild that. ride. It really was. But I'm not sure if there's any nurses in here, but um, for a nurse to take care of a nurse who are surrounded by nurses, um, it, it wasn't pretty. Uh, but those, those nurses in the hospital and in rehab and in the step-down unit, um, they allowed us to do so many things and because of them, it helped, like, it helped Tammy and I to heal, you know, so we were able to help Jamie to heal. So 
Um, I think that was really important. I mean, I know we 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 um, we push them to their limits sometimes, but you know, when they wanted to take Jamie to the nursing home, we knew that if she wasn't put in the right place, that she she wouldn't keep moving forward. That she would kind of go into a depression and not get pushed the way she needed to be pushed. And they said the the year after a person's brain injury is the most important for their rehab. And that is the one thing that kept us going. And we had a minimum of 365 days that her or I were with her. I would take my children to her house. And But the one thing that I have to mention, Holly's our fireball. She really is. Um, her dad explained to the... Um, other nurses and Jamie that she's like a little chihuahua that you try and kick <laughs> off your ankle and she doesn't give up till she gets what she wants. And that's the kind of friend you need on your side. You bet. You really do. What is it in Jamie that you saw that you were willing to fight? Like you guys would fight for her. You pushed her. What, what was it in Jamie that, that caused you to do that? We, we fought for Jamie because it wasn't what we saw after the accident. It was the person she was before the accident. You know, um, Jamie is the most kind, caring, compassionate person. You know, not only she she's a deacon at her church. Um, she doesn't forget a birthday, which she still to this day doesn't forget birthdays. Incredible. Um, but she was she's giving. Um, she go out of her way to help people, and she truly, you know, she she didn't have the best life growing up. She had dealt with some personal struggles before this accident and she really could have been down and out and she just never thought about herself. She always thought about others. That's incredible. It speaks volumes. It's a huge deal. Now, now kind of 11 years into this, Jamie, how do you, how do you make it through the hard days now, the difficult days? Uh, it's, actually for my children, first of all, and for my friends, um, and for my church. I'm, I'm still a deacon at my church, um, and it's been hard getting through this, but uh, for my children mostly and for my friends. That's awesome. That's a big deal. Uh, how has uh, this accident, for all of you guys, how, how has this accident shaped how you view what you do for a living. Because you, you work for Stat Medivac again. I'm now. back with the company. Back with the company. Absolutely. And you have your nurse's license again. Yes, I do. You drive. I, I saw do. you drive your car this morning <laughs> here. You know, I do. Like, all of that. Small back, steps. But, but 11 years ago, none of that was a possibility. Absolutely. I just want to quickly say yeah. a yeah. statistic. Um, so Jamie was diagnosed with a diffuse axonal injury. And 90% of the survivors of diffuse axonal injuries will remain unconscious. And that 10% of the people that regain consciousness are often severely impaired. So um, Jamie's our miracle because um, those numbers don't lie. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's incredible. It is. And as, as far as the way we treat people, it's, it's done at 360. Obviously, to be in this job, you have to be a caring person. You have to care about other people. But, you know, like, I treat family differently, I feel, because guess what? We were that family, and we never wanted to be left in the dark. And uh, just this week, uh, I had a patient that I didn't think was going to make it out of surgery, and I made that. I, I didn't have to make her, but I went out, and I, the OR team is in the room, and I'm having his wife give him a kiss because I want, you know, them to be with her and be at the last moments. And it's just, you know, we, we treat every patient like they're our family. So for me, you know, I struggled after Jamie's accident going back to work because, um, 
you know, we do. Um, we do our best for every patient, but we become detached a little bit. And, you know, for the last 11 years, I think, you know, every patient that I have taken care of, that's somebody's Jamie. Yeah. You know, so every, every person, you just, you realize how much somebody loves them because of how much we love Jamie. And it, it just kind of changes your perspective. Yeah, it's a huge deal. What you, Jamie, now that you're back with Stat Medivac, how has this shaped how you view your job? It makes me, makes me appreciate everything, and it makes me appreciate the flight crews and makes me appreciate Stat Medivac. That, that's exactly it. Every, it makes you appreciate every flight, every patient, every family. It makes me appreciate the company. I mean, such an incredible group of people, and it's not always just Stat Medivac fire departments, police officers, mechanics, like... So at one point um, during the, the process, uh, Jamie um, was in the brain rehab unit, and again, she thought she was okay, and she was able, it was a secure building, but she, she wandered away. Um, she got lost, and um, Jamie was missing for over eight hours. Like out um, of the facility? Out of the facility, yeah. walked away from the facility, missing out by the, the zoo in that area. And I'm not a parent of humans, but uh, I have to tell you, oh my goodness, like I, I left work without even calling anybody because they called me and they said she was missing and like I just left and I'm calling her. And um, by the time we got to where we were at, um, and this speaks loudly for all of the EMS providers in our world, uh, we had the Salvation Army was there with their truck with hot chocolate and everything. Um, uh, we had over 250 volunteers, uh, EMS were sending out their squad trucks. Um, we had an incident command center. We had, well, we had access to a helicopter too. <laughs> but, One or two. Uh, maybe. Uh, but the fire department brought their, um, their cameras up. And so we were able to like search the grids to see if we could find her. But I, I remember um, at least 250 people. Um, in what kind came. of a time frame? Like, was that, it was like within I mean, it, a few hours. Yeah. They were there within an hour, hour yeah. and a half, and they spent the eight hours helping us find her. That's incredible. And, yeah, we had flight crew members. We just, one person said the word, and, you know, they, they knew it was one of their own, and they, I mean, it was overwhelming, the response that we got. And she was found by a police officer, and her and I were at the Incident Command Center in case they found her. And uh, her dad was at home in case she ended up making it home. She was found by a police officer, and I'll never forget the blank stare in her eyes. She's like, what did I do wrong? You know, she was trying to get home to her kids. She, she really thought she could make the... And we were over in this area, and she lived in Houston. So it was a pretty... I, I probably couldn't make it that far on foot. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... Incredible. And those are just some of the things that... What was one of the scariest moments? Was that one of the scariest moments for you yes. guys? Oh, my that gosh, was that was so... Yeah. Because we had already surpassed the hospital stay, and we've made it this far, and we're like, oh, my God. You know, it was cold. It was scary. You come through so much, and now for this to, yeah. to happen. And um, one night I totaled my car on the way home. I was watching, not watching her, but with her, and I was on the way home, and I totaled my car in the, on the turnpike in a bad snowstorm. Somebody hit me and then hit me into the wall, and uh, I really think that, you, you know, we're in a church, and God definitely had something to do with me not getting injured. Yeah. It was amazing. Miracle. Yeah, I, the other thing that was really hard is um, seeing your friend go through depression. Because with brain injuries, you know, she, she told you how everything was taken away from her. And, you know, depression is real and it's hard. And to see somebody struggle and maybe not want to, 
like live through these moments? Um, like, how do you cheer somebody up? Like, how do you how do you get them through this? You know, and I think that was hard for me too. Like, not just when she was lost, but I didn't want to lose her to depression. You know, um, we got her through the the medical part and the, that survivable part, physical part. Yeah. But now we had to get her through the mental part, which yeah. you know. Uh, I, I think that was pretty hard. How, how did you guys do that? A lot of laughter. We took yeah. her to Disney World. Yeah, we did. We really did. <laughs> fixes everything. Yeah. Fix everything. Yeah. She might have said a couple things to Cinderella that we can't compete. In, you know. And she turned into a different person. And it was we were like, no, you're not this person. She started smoking in rehab. We're like, Jamie, you've never smoked a cigarette a day in your life. Like, you know, so there was a lot of things that we... And I haven't since. Yeah, she, yeah, she hasn't since. Yeah. But, yeah, just amazing we, we just did whatever we could to keep her moving and motivated. And, you know, the biggest part for us was to keep her kids involved because her kids meant so much to her. Yeah. So, you know, we had the kids there reading stories to her. When she was in the ICU, we actually had them reading books. We taped books. Uh, we taped them reading so she could hear their voices the whole time when she was in the ICU. And we had a Caring Bridge page that um, when people would post on it. So we would read that every day That's to awesome. her. And just different things like that. But trying to keep her kids involved, I think, gave her that perspective that she needed to pull through. Now, I know there's some really difficult moments. Holly, you mentioned before we talked, there's some funny moments, too. What were some of the funniest moments that you can share? <laughs> uh, I know there's some, you know, it might be harder to, but what were some of the funniest moments over that span? So they had her on Adderall. And Adderall worked very well for Jamie because it kept her awake and kept her moving. What does Adderall do for anyone? So it's a retention deficit. So it was to, you know, keep her mind, stay focused. So we go one day to her house and everything's fine. We go the next day to her house. She had taken her son's entire bedroom apart, the The bunk bed and everything, and set it up in the basement. Says, I think he'll want to come down here. Her oldest was 15. So, but like, I I couldn't do that without a brain injury. Like she's uh, every nut and bolt took that bed apart, carried it all the way to the basement and put it up. And we're like, Jamie. And then when she, she did house, house cleaning, all her garbage had to go to the garage and she didn't know that we didn't throw it away. So we sorted through all of her garbage every day because she was throwing away her, her children's kindergarten pictures and she didn't know it, but she was cleaning house. She gave her grill to her neighbor. She would give things away. She was very generous. Very generous. She was very generous. So we but, had to keep her keepsakes. And those, those are the things that, you know, at the time we're like, Jamie, you can't do this. But yeah, Like it, road tripping. Well, yeah. When we took her to Florida, she's, she's like, I have to stop. And, and that's when we were fighting with, this, with smoking because she had never done it before. And she's like, I have to stop. And we're like, you. And she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right. She never had to go to the bathroom. She just wanted to stop to smoke a cigarette. Like, she just drove us crazy that way, like, every 10 minutes. Came with all kinds of habits that she oh, never had before. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because of the brain. And she never said bad words she, until she was in the accident. And then she would say them in the most inappropriate places. So, <laughs> and it was always the big one. <laughs> we're like, so, so we actually started calling her a name. And, you know, but it was always the big one. And we're like, well, no. Yeah. Brain injuries, I mean, there's a, a lot that go through with brain injuries for sure. And it's been, it's been quite a ride. Um, you know, she, she always sends us, our, we still get our little um, messages of inspiration or quotes or pictures or, or different things like that. But yeah, when you would tell her like, you never said swear words ever. She's like, yes, I did. As she's smoking her cigarette. And it's like, who is this person? <laughs> Crazy. But, <laughs> 
<laughs> and that all kind of developed and worked its way out. Yeah, it did. Kids, we figure out what were, what were kids when the accident, one was 12, one was seven, one was five. So 15, yeah. And so they, that was like the hardest part is the communication with getting the kids and, you know, being able to, they weren't allowed to be there unless someone else was there. So, I mean, even when, you know, the, the year was up, we, we still wanted to make sure she had special moments with her children and her children are the most wonderful children to this day. Uh, they're, they're so close. Her son's a senior. They, she goes to all of the sporting events, and it's just amazing awesome. that they have their mother. And now that they're grown, they are there for her, and they're, so like cool. I said, wonderful children. J- Jamie, you look at this whole story, this whole accident. I don't know if you sort of process this. Why do you think you were spared? Like, in, in a lot of cases, Holly mentioned the statistics. You guys live in statistic world. Like, this is the chances, and this is what we do. Why the miracle? Like, why do you think you were spared? Why do I think I was spared? Um, That's a very difficult question for me. God wasn't ready for me yet. He had bigger plans for me. I'm not even sure that I I know what he has in store for me yet. However, my children were 15, 12, and 7 when my accident occurred. I may may not always have been able to be there for them as they were growing up. But now now that they are adults, um, excuse me. I watched them overgrow their growing pains, but now I could be there for them in the future. My life was spared for my dad. During my recovery, my dad lost his wife, his mother, and tragically, my two brothers, his sons. In December of 2018, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. I was able to be there for him and to, take, and to be, help him be comfortable during the last seven months of his life. My life was spared for my friends. In healthcare, sometimes providers lose faith as flight nurses, friends, my friends have seen a lot of tragedy. Because of my story, my friends believe in miracles again. I look forward to see what God. I look, I look forward to seeing what God has in store for me, and why my that's why my life was spared. So awesome, and and I'll echo not just for for Tammy and Holly. Uh, I think for all of us, in a really crazy year that we found ourselves in, your evidence that miracles still happen, and we are. I can't tell you how grateful we are to get to hear your story and to hear what, what God did in your life and just the amazing ladies that he put in your life that brought you to this point. Uh, as we kind of wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share, uh, Jamie, for everyone? You know, they told you I love quotes. I have one last quote. I'd like to share one last quote with you. You don't have the rights to the cards you believe you should have been dealt. You have an obligation to play the heck out of the ones you're holding. Man, that's a great line. That's an awesome quote. Got to put that on something. That's good. That's really good. Can you give it up for these ladies this morning? Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Kendo. What what an amazing story. Thank you for all that you guys have done. Thank you guys so much. Um, I wanted you guys to get to hear that story. I mean, one, we we, uh, had uh, Jamie and Holly here uh, probably a month ago or so, and film some video just uh, of their story, and I'm tearing up listening to them share that. And uh, in a year where there aren't a lot of good stories of good things happening, just so much difficult, I think it's important for us to remember miracles still happen. And when we think about miracles still happening, we can project that onto like societal, world, global situations. And, uh, and that's good. 
you know, that God can still do miracles and big issues like a pandemic. But really what I want to talk about here just as we kind of wrap up this morning is God still does miracles in your life and my life. Like it comes down to the personal, where you sit, what you walk through. You know, we're going to finish up here and go outside and see trucks and maybe see a helicopter and everything. That'd be cool. And you're going to go home. You're going to go home to something. You're going to get in the car. And, and you're going to face the reality of what you are walking through, what you are dealing with. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship that you're desperately hoping will work out or will happen. Maybe it's your job, your career, that you're not sure what the next month or year will look like. And there's this weight, this stress, this anxiety that just hangs over your head. And you've asked yourself, at what point do I give up? What point do I stop hoping? I, I hope that you're, you hear this story of Jamie, that you don't reach that point, that there is no point that you give up. Because miracles still happen. Miracles can still happen in your life. There's no case beyond God's capacity to transform. None. No matter how much others have told you, it's, it's without hope. You're not without hope. I'm not without hope. And that's not just something I say to make you feel better because, you know, I just want you to have all warm and fuzzies inside and leave this place feeling happy about yourself. I, that's not what I'm saying. I know there's real, true realities of life that things are really difficult. Your electric bill might still get turned off. You're, you might not have a job next week. You, maybe that relationship won't work out. I'm not, I'm not saying that God promises that everything you ever wished for will happen. It's not the case. It's not true life. It didn't happen for Jesus, you know. He was nailed to a cross. That wasn't exactly the greatest circumstance ever. But God sent his son Jesus to this earth not to start some religion so we have something to do on Sundays or Christmas or Easter. God sent his son Jesus to this earth because he had hope for you. Just like Holly and Tammy had hope for, for Jamie even when she didn't have hope for herself. God had hope for you. He, he never will give up on you. In, in fact, in the, in the book of Hebrews, there's this incredible statement that's made in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, the beginning of it. It says that Jesus endured the pain of the cross, which is far greater than I could even explain in words right now. I mean, excruciating. Uh, it, was, it was really something that was almost torture. Jesus endured the pain of the cross, it says, for the joy set before him. That's kind of a hard thing to process. Like, how do you endure pain for the sake of joy? It was the outcome. You were the joy. I was the joy. Jesus endured all of that, not so he could start some religion, not so people could just come and sing songs about. Like, that's crazy. That'd be pretty outrageous. He, he did that because he had hope for you. Because he knew there's no case too far gone. No one's without hope. And, and as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want to pray. And I want to invite you if you are like, man, Nick, I, I need that kind of hope in my life. This isn't about joining a church. This isn't about religion. This is about establishing a relationship with someone that will change your life. I, I should have asked this, but I don't know how I know it worked, but Jamie and Holly and Tammy connected. That, that had to have been one of the most, it was the most life-changing encounters you could have ever had the moment you guys developed that relationship. 
what I'm talking about is saying, I want to begin a relationship with it, the creator of the world, the one who shaped me and formed me, with a God that actually loves me. You might think God is angry and hates you. That's not the case at all. I can tell you story after story after story. That's not the case. God loves you even through the pain, even through the difficulty. And he's hoping for you. If you could bow your heads with me this morning, we're just going to pray. And, and if you say, you know what, Nick? I want, I want to have that hope in my life. I want to see Jesus in my life, whether you're here in person or watching online. I want you to pray this prayer with me. And, and I'm not going to, it's not like some magic prayer, like, man, the pastor's up there praying this magic prayer. I can't do this on my own. It's really just a conversation that I want to lead you in. That's all prayer is. It's a conversation with God. My hope is that this is the first of many conversations you can have with God. You just share what's on your heart. So if if you can all just pray this prayer with me, I'm going to say it and you can repeat after me if you like. And and my hope is that you don't just say empty words because the words don't mean anything. It's what's in your heart. It's what you're saying and what what, uh, meaning you're putting to that. So if you could pray this prayer with me together. Dear God, thank you for loving me just where I am. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for hoping for me. Today I commit my life to you. I accept your forgiveness of my past. I commit from this day forward to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And, and my hope is if you pray that prayer and you're like, man, this is something new, don't stop there. It's not just about a one-time prayer you pray. It's about a journey. And, and, and if you want to get some resources to help you continue that journey, if you text new to Jesus to 55498, we want to help you continue that journey. Today, we're going to, to celebrate the men and women who have uh, worked so hard to keep us safe day in and day out. Um, we're going to dismiss here in a, in a few moments. Um, before we do that, I just want to give some instructions. Um, as we dismiss, we're going to ask that everyone just make their way out, be respectful of distancing and all of that. Um, I don't know if we have word on the, the helicopter. If that's, are we good? We're good. The helicopter's coming. That's awesome. They had to make sure the weather was good. So the, the Stat Medevac helicopter is going to be landing in the parking lot here in 12 minutes. Um, but if you have kids, make sure you get your kids, pick them up first. Uh, please respect social distancing and masks and all that stuff. And uh, even as you're, let your kids can climb around the trucks, just for the adults especially, just make sure that you recognize these are emergency vehicles. Wear your mask just to protect them. The last thing we want to do is to get someone sick or do something that, for those that are, uh, are helping us. We don't want to hurt them. So uh, if you can do that, we're so grateful to have you guys with us today. Uh, next week, just so you know, we're going to be continuing closing out our series, uh, Jonah. Uh, I'll be sharing uh, next Sunday and then the 29th, East, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to be kicking off a new series, When the Fruitcake Hits the Fan. You can grab a postcard on your way out if you want to read about that and invite someone. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We're so grateful to have you. All of our first responders, we are grateful for e- each and every one of you. Uh, thank you again. Have a great week, and we'll see you guys next Sunday. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. 
We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.